Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Craig. And good morning again, church. I'm glad that you're here. Hey, grab your Bibles, if you will. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6 is where we're going to be this morning. As we continue our sermon series called The Repenters, we are learning to be a repenting people, not just at one point in our lives, but consistently through our lives. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 is where we're going to be in just a second. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Hope you got a copy of God's Word there with you. Uh, and if not, at least a device or something where you can look that up. But Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 uh, is where we'll be in just a moment. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but have you ever gotten good advice that you just failed to listen to? I'll take that chuckling to mean yes. Uh, I've done this a few times in my life, but I remember when I was in my early 20s, I I just graduated from school, and I remember somebody coming to me and telling me, uh, they said, hey, you need to start saving for retirement. And this sounded ludicrous to me. Like, this sounded like the dumbest advice ever. I'm in my early 20s. I have barely begun my career, and you're trying to talk to me about ending it? Like my retirement, like I can't even imagine what life is going to be like 40 some odd years in the future. I don't even know what I'm going to do. How, why, why would I be like re- saving for retirement on top of that? I, I mean, look, when you're in your 20s, you're invincible, right? You're eternal. You're never going to die. I mean, you're going to live forever. So I don't want to be thinking about the end. And then really on top of that, I just didn't have a whole lot of money, right? I've just got out of college. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. It's not like there's a bunch of money around. You can just be sucking around to to save. I'm just trying to get by. And so the idea that I would take a portion of that and be putting it into a retirement investment that I can't touch for 40 years, I mean, I I just couldn't think of it. And so I just didn't do it for for years after that until finally somebody explained to me the idea of compound interest. Did anybody ever like tell you this? If you don't know what that is, go Google it as soon as the service is over. It's important, right? Because here's the idea, okay? So like, let's say that you are in 20-somethings. Listen up, teenagers, listen. Uh, Look, if you take $100 a month, and you just save it, all right? You just shove it under your mattress. $100 a month, at the end of 45 years, you will have about $50,000, okay? $100 a month, 45 years, you got $50,000. If you take that same money and put it into an investment account and you only get 5% return, five, you can get better than that, 5% return, at the end of that 45 years, you don't have your original 50,000, you have 200,000. Okay, that's like magic to me. I don't know how that happened, but it's compound interest, all right? Same 50 grand. You now have quadruple that amount at the end if you just consistently every month put a little bit away. But here's the deal. It matters when you start. Like I didn't start in my early 20s. I can't do 45 years. I didn't start until I was close to 30. All right, you know, so it was, it was later when I actually did that. And here's the deal. If you only do this for 40 instead of 45 years, that number drops down to 150,000. All right, I've still tripled my money. That's an extra 50 grand. I could have quadrupled it if I just added the first five years. Man, those first early years are actually really important because look, everything starts small. It starts really small. After the first even 10 years, you haven't made a whole lot. But when you get into the 30 and 40 year range, this thing takes off like a rocket. 
and it transforms what you can make. This is the concept upon which all of our retirement vehicles are based on. Your 401k, your IRA, all these are based on the concept of compound interest, which is why most of you, this is not news. You already knew this. You were aware of this. This is why you have a 401k. But here's the trick. You cannot take your 401k into eternity. You cannot take your portfolio into eternity. You cannot take your assets into eternity. They have a maturity date and then they are done. What we need to understand is, is that while we believe this when it comes to our finances, we understand and agree with the concept of compound interest when it comes to our finances. For many of us, we fail to recognize that the same process, the same principle applies when it comes to our souls. That small investments over time end up having a very outsized effect. Only our soul doesn't end at the end of this earthly life. It goes on into eternity. Imagine the idea of compound interest, not for 45 years, but 45,000. And you begin to see what can happen. Only, interestingly, this process does not simply work positively. It also works negatively if you are not careful. And that's where we find ourselves in Galatians chapter 6. Look, over the past couple of weeks, we've been learning something very important. Two weeks ago, we found out that all of us are in a war with our flesh. This is our fallen human nature. This is what it means to live as a human right now in this world. We all have a flesh that we are wrestling with. We have inordinate desires in us that push us towards sin. Now, if you are saved, you've been saved from that. You've been set free from the law of sin. But it's still here. It's been dethroned, defanged, but it's still very loud. And we all wrestle with this. And so as believers, even if you're saved, you and I must learn how to fight our flesh. Now, last week, we learned about a couple big words. We learned about justification. That if you've come to a place of salvation, you recognize I'm a sinner and I cannot fix myself. I'm a sinner and I cannot make it right. Jesus, I need you to help me. I need what you have done on the cross that you died for me. When you rose again, I need you to save me. When Jesus Christ saved us, we were justified in him. We were saved. We were reckoned as righteous and that will never change. This is all the things we just say. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to save us. You are so, so good. Your goodness is running after me. This is the grace of Jesus Christ that has saved us, not based on what we have done, but based on what he has done. This will never change. His feelings about us will not change. But we also recognize that we're in a process now of sanctification. We are to become like him. I am saved, I'm declared righteous, but I need to become like him. And that is an active ongoing process that you and I must invest in. Hopefully this has answered maybe a lingering or a nagging question for you. For some of you, you've been struggling because you say, Adam, I'm a believer. How come things aren't changing? Adam, I'm a believer. How come I'm still wrestling? Adam, I'm a believer. How come this is just not working out as if when we become believers, we just, you just wake up one day and want to read Leviticus. This will never happen, ever. Well, I mean, it will, but I mean, much later on, right? You have to go through a process before that actually occurs in your life. It doesn't just happen. Okay, the reason there's not change is because you're not investing in that change. You're not being sanctified. This is a process that we have input into. 
And so if that's the case, then we must be fighting against our flesh. We must learn to fight against our flesh. And if we don't, well, there's consequences. And that's why we find ourselves in Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 7. Paul is wrapping up his letter to the Galatians. We're here towards the end. He's been giving some admonitions, but he gives us an immutable spiritual principle that all of us are beholden to. Listen to what he says in verse 7. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. Let's stop right there. All right, here Paul is helping us understand an immutable spiritual law. This is not the kind of law that you can just like choose to obey or ignore. This is the law that is true whether you like it or not. This is like natural law, like gravity, all right? That's true whether you like it or not. You are beholden to it whether you like it or not. This is an immutable spiritual law that he gives us. But let's break down what he says in verse 7. First phrase of verse 7, he says, do not be deceived. It's a warning. Don't be deceived. There are literally entities that are trying to deceive you. And it is possible for us to be deceived. Smart as we are, enlightened as we are, it is very possible for us to be deceived. Now, most of us have kind of woken up to that fact in our culture. We said, Adam, we understand. I was here for the spiritual warfare series last year. I understand that there are spiritual entities that are trying to deceive me. I know that the world is trying to deceive me. But here's maybe what we have overlooked. There is also a deception that comes from inside of us. And that is much harder to deal with. It's one thing to see the lies from something else. But what happens when you feel this? Because you have these feelings, these, these inordinate desires from our flesh, and it feels natural. Well, if I feel it, it can't be wrong, can it? I mean, I would never want to hurt myself. I would never want to do anything to hurt myself. And so if I feel this, and it feels so right, it feels so natural, it must be okay, right? Actually, no, this is a misunderstanding. We do not recognize that you and I are still wrestling with our flesh, that there are going to be strong desires that you and I have that are not from the Spirit. They are from our flesh. We can be deceived. And if you don't think you can, you will be deceived. So first phrase, God, do not be deceived. Here's the second thing. God is not mocked. All right? This is a shocking phrase. This word for mocked uh, is a rare word. It never shows up anywhere else in the New Testament. It does show up a little bit in the Old Testament. It means this. It means to turn your nose up in mockery or derision. Mockery or contempt. Basically, literally, is to say, I'm going to turn my, my nose up in disgust and look down on somebody in contempt and mockery. God is not mocked. Now, it's shocking that anybody would turn their nose up at God, that they would try to mock God. But here's what's even more shocking. This is addressed to believers. Why in the world would a Christian ever mock the Lord? The Lord that we confess, the Lord that has saved us, the Lord who loves us. How, why, when would a believer ever mock the Lord? And yet we do this more often than we think. We often mock the Lord. We hold him up to mockery and contempt. You say, Adam, I've never done that. Actually, we have. 
Anytime when you and I are wrestling with our flesh and we decide to give ourselves a pass because we can game the system, we're mocking God. Well, I can get away with this. I mean, look, he's going to forgive me at the end anyway, right? And so I can have my sin and have salvation too. I think I found a loophole. We are mocking the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We are mocking the love of God, the grace that he has given. We're literally trying to abuse the grace of God for our own pleasure and sin. Okay, that's a mockery of God. Whenever we look at God and think, I'm fine. I don't really need the Lord. I got this. I can do this on my own. Okay, that's a mockery of the Lord. It's a mockery of the cross. Why else would he have come if we, did, we didn't need him? Or anytime we look at the Lord and say, that Lord, I mean, my goodness, he's a little antiquated. I mean, he's got some really good ideas. But some of that stuff in the Bible, look, we have just progressed. We are a little bit farther along. We've learned some things. We just kind of have to let God be God, but we know better. Okay, that's mocking God. It's making a mockery of the Lord. It's possible for us to do this. And what Paul is saying here is, is like, we don't get away with that. You will not get away with that. You just won't. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. And then here he tells us the principle. He says, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Now, he's using a farming metaphor that for many of us city folk uh, might not be easily understood, but you can kind of get it, right? Whatever you sow into the ground as seed, that's what you're going to reap later on as a crop. And again, this is an immutable law. So let's say you wanted to grow corn. Let's say you're sowing corn seed, right? So if you sow corn, you're going to reap alfalfa, right? No, never. You will never reap alfalfa. You will reap corn. That's what happens. You sow a corn seed, you get a corn plant every time. Without fail, that's what you're going to get. You never get alfalfa. It's not like a, a toss-up or a maybe or a every now and then. No, every time you sow corn, you get corn. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. But now he breaks it down and helps us understand further. Verse 8, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Okay. So here's what he is saying. As you and I make choices in life, we are sowing to either the flesh or to the spirit. And those are your only two options. Every decision you and I make, we are either going to be sowing to the flesh, our own independence, our own way of life apart from God, or we are going to be sowing to the spirit, living in surrender to the Lord, walking in the spirit. There is no middle ground. It is not as if that sometimes we sow to the, the flesh, but in general, I'm just by myself, or sometimes I sow to the spirit, but I'm, I'm just here by myself. No, every decision we make is either sowing to the flesh or to the spirit, and there are consequences of that. Specifically, he breaks these down. Let's look at them. He says, if you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption. Now, this word corruption is fairly graphic. Uh, it means a rotting, putrefying corpse. That's the word. When a corpse decomposes over time, that is corruption. Now look, a body does not decompose instantly. This takes time. But over days and weeks, a dead body will decompose into more and more of a horrific state. It will become more and more a nightmare. 
Okay, well, that's what we reap from sin. When we sow to our flesh, when we give our flesh free reign, when we do whatever it compels us to do, there's going to be a crop, a crop that is outsized from what we sowed, and it is going to destroy us. Remember a couple of things about sowing and reaping. When you sow a small seed, you reap a large crop. So you reap something very much larger than what you originally sowed. And this happens over a period of time, just like that decomposition. Okay, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't even happen in a week or a month. But later on, you are going to see over time, kind of like that compound interest, a massive crop. And if you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. I cannot stress to you how dangerous this is. Adam, are you saying I can lose my salvation? No, if you're a believer in Christ, you are justified in him. However, you can, and many people do, and we all probably have examples from our own lives to prove it, we can choose sin and reap corruption and destruction into our lives, even as believers. And look, this is all through the scriptures. Check this out. Let me show you a bunch of scriptures. Everywhere you find this, James 1, verses 14 and 15, it says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Next one. Here's Romans 8, 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Next one. Here's Second Peter. So Peter now speaking, chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. For speaking, he's talking about people enslaved by the flesh. He says, speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. You now know what that word means. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Next one. This is Romans 6, 15 and 16. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. And then here's Romans 6, 19. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. But look, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. All right, look, if you wrap all this up, what does it tell us? Look, we have desires. We have these strong desires from our flesh. We feel this on the inside, but they draw us towards sin. And if you and I give in to them, the result is death. It is lawlessness that leads to more lawlessness. We find ourselves enslaved to these very things that promise us freedom. The more we give ourselves over to the flesh, the more death and destruction we are sowing into our lives. Now look, this happens in different degrees. But it is true for every single act of the flesh. So even if you might consider this to be a small thing, what we're doing is, is we're sowing a small part of death into our lives. But it's just a little sin, which means I'm cool with just a little death, right? I mean, it's just a little death. It's only a little arsenic. It's only a little strychnine. It's only a little anthrax. Surely that won't be a problem. Surely only just a little death won't really bother me. And yet what you see is that is exactly what it does. It brings corruption into our lives. But the flip side is also true. 
When it comes to this battle, we're not simply in a holding action against the flesh. He says, no, I want to draw you into the life of the Spirit. Anybody who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. There is a progressive, growing life in Christ that culminates in full eternal life in him. You see this in the scriptures as well. Check this out. Here is uh, the first is Romans 8 verse 6. We just read it before. Look at the, front, uh, the back half. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. You see the opposite. Here's Romans 6, 22 and 23. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's Colossians 3.10. We have now put on the new self, Christians, which is being renewed, present tense, in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then here's 2 Corinthians 3.18. We looked at this last week. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image From one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed. And so look, when we sow to the flesh, we are going to reap, ultimately, corruption. But when you and I sow to the Spirit, a transformation occurs. And what we will reap is sanctification and eternal life. This is what God has made us for. This is what he saved us for. This is what he is drawing us into. And so the question is, what are you sowing? Right now, what are you sowing? Are you sowing to the flesh or are you sowing to the spirit? Because we are all doing this. Right now, we are doing this. It is happening. And please understand, it's progressive. It is going to continue to happen. It's happening right now. It's going to happen all through this year. It'll happen through the rest of our lives. In fact, the progressive nature is what kind of hides this from us because it's slow, because it happens over time. Many of us miss it. In fact, if you're sitting there with that whole compound interest thing, you look in that first five, 10 years, you're not seeing anything really happening. You might be tempted to think that nothing is happening, but that's not true. It's the same way in our spiritual life, by the way. Many times, some of us, we will sin and we will do this thing that we were always told not to do, that we're told we should never do, and that will be horrible and terrible in our lives. And then you do it and you find that you did not get struck by lightning. And you went, oh, I got away with it. I can do that again. Because you think that because you don't have an immediate problem, an immediate consequence, that nothing is happening. But this is progressive. Simply because you don't get the punishment right now does not mean that this punishment is not coming. Do do you not understand that when you're sowing into sin in your life, there can be future consequences? Look, students especially, but all of us, I mean, look, if you're looking at pornography, and especially our younger folk, do you not understand that this is poisoning your soul? That this is wrecking your future relationships? Well, it's not hurting anybody. That's what everybody's doing, right? No, no, no. You're wrecking future relationships, because this is shaping your mind, your brain, and your understanding about people, about relationships, about sex. The reaping of the consequences comes later than the initial actions. Same thing on the positive side. 
Okay, you might be praying and reading your Bible and going to church and trying to grow, but you're just not seeing a whole lot of change. It's still really hard. You might say, Adam, I've been trying this for a while. I just don't see any instant results. But listen, saints aren't made overnight. Look, the, the people that you look at and have incredible walks with the Lord, hey, this happens over a long period of time. But if you consistently invest a little every day in sowing to the Spirit, you will see a harvest not of destruction, but of righteousness. And every decision we make pushes us in one of those directions. So let me show you a quote by C.S. Lewis. This is from Mere Christianity. I was reminded of this this week. Uh, Listen to what Lewis says. It's a long quote, but go with me. Uh, He says, I would much rather say that every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning the central thing into either a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. Either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself or into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and his fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven that is his joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. That is happening right now. Right now, you are becoming, but you are either becoming more Christ-like or more hellish. We all are. Please understand, by the end of this year, you will be a different person. By the end of 2022, you will be different. You will not be the person that you are sitting in this room right now. You're gonna be different. And how you change is going to be determined by the sum of the choices that you have made between now and then some of the choices you've already made, and also some of the choices you make between now and then of whether I'm going to sow to the flesh or I'm going to sow to the Spirit. It's incredibly important. Because look, some of you are still hung up on the opening illustration. You're going, can you really make that much money with a 5% interest rate? What can I do with the 10% interest rate? I need to call my guy. Like, what does he do? Like, do I need to reallocate? I need to look at that. I haven't even looked at my IRA in a while. You're still thinking that. And dude, that's fine. Go talk to your guy. Because look, I'd love for you to have as much as possible. Here's what you need to understand though. When it comes to spiritual compound interest, it doesn't just work positively. It also can work negatively. And when you consistently sow to the Spirit, in the same way that it takes off like a rocket in a positive way, it can also turn to destruction in a negative way. This is how you see even believers who torch their lives, who blow up everything because small, sinful, fleshly choices built up over time that didn't seem all that big in the the moment, but you stack a thousand of them together and what you end up with is destruction. And the Lord is saying, please don't do that. Don't sow to the flesh. Instead, I want to give you the opposite. I want you to sow to the Spirit. Can you sow to the Spirit? So what does that look like? Well, Paul's actually already talked about this a bit. I got to go very fast. Click back one chapter, if you would, of Galatians chapter five. In a very cursory manner, I want to at least help us understand what are we talking about? When we're talking about the flesh and sowing to the flesh or the Spirit, what are we actually talking about? All right, a couple things here. In Galatians chapter five, uh, where are we? Verse 16, listen to what he says. 
He says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not minimize that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. All right, so when he's telling us about this immutable spiritual law in chapter 6, he's already kind of given us some of the specifics in chapter 5. So when we're talking about the flesh, he kind of gives us this list. And it's not an exhaustive list, by the way. He says, and things like these, there's a ton here. But very quickly, just let's look at a few of these. These first three words all have to do with sexual temptation, sexual morality, impurity, and sensuality. Listen, God has made us as sexual beings. You have sexual desires are good. This is a gift from the Lord. But our flesh also can make these disordered desires. And when you and I take this gift out of its proper context, when we take it out from where God has intended it within the marriage context, we pervert it and it ends up hurting us rather than helping us. Now look, we might try to, try to justify this. Well, Adam, if I feel it, it must be okay, right? I mean, if this feels natural, if this feels good, then it must be okay, right? And that is not always the case. Why? Because we have a flesh with disordered desires, and look, it does not matter how you pervert this. This is adultery. This is pornography. This is all. Any time you and I take sex out of its proper context, okay, it's going to reap destruction for us. Next word there is idolatry. You could talk for years about just this one word. This is mainly from the Old Testament, but we do this today. This is any time you take something and make it God. When this one thing is the source of my security, my all, where if, I, if you threaten this, if you challenge this, it would blow my world apart. Okay, that's become our God. That is an idol, okay, and that's an act of the flesh. The next word there is sorcery. This is interesting. The Greek word here is actually pharmakia. It's where we get the term pharmacy, uh, and it's talking about drug use. In witchcraft, people would use drugs as a part of their kind of rituals, which is why, why you get the sorcery angle here. But what they're doing is, is that they're using mind-altering drugs to kind of induce or at least pretend to have a, a spiritual-ish experience or to dupe other people here. And so he's saying, no, that, that this is not good. You were indulging the flesh. And, and so look, we've kind of taken the witchcraft out of it. We just kept the illicit drug use. So if you want to know where it is in the Bible where it says don't get high, there it is. Okay, look, it's right there. It's in the text. It says pharmacy. Okay, look, that's what it is. Drugs, by the way, not bad, 
using them in this way for the flesh, yes, not okay, that's the flesh. Uh, next one, it, it, the whole list of these uh, are about interpersonal relationships. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of ra- uh, anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. These are breakdowns in personal relationships. And let's be honest, for many of us when it comes to uh, temptations of the flesh, we just kind of naturally think on the sexual side and we give ourselves a pass when it comes to anger or envy or pride or, or, or wrath or slander these other things that are also a parts of the flesh. There's so much here. Uh, that word for uh, rivalries, it actually means unchecked selfish ambition. Unchecked selfish ambition. I will not be second place. No one will make more than me. I will be first. I will make more than last year. I will be number one in this field. I will do these things. I will overwork everybody else. Okay, we need to have a question about where that's coming from. There's nothing wrong with ambition. There is something wrong about unchecked, selfish ambition. You need to be asking yourself, why? Is this from the flesh or from the spirit? Uh, Let's see, dissensions, divisions. This is a party spirit. When everybody gets their own little clique, their own little crew. Oh man, we we really get it, right? All those other people, we really get it. All right, this is how you break up churches. This is how you break up countries. This is how you break up organizations and neighborhoods. Uh, when, When you have these little factions, and the party spirit of us versus them. Okay, that's riots, dissensions, divisions, envy. It's when I can't bear for anybody else to be happy. How come they have it and I don't? We're stuck on Instagram, which is just like an envy engine. And we're just sitting there looking at everybody else. Well, how come they have that? How come well, they're all perfect? How come I don't have that? I Man, I can't believe they have that. They need to be taken down a peg. And, and you, you have this little envy that rises up in you. All right, that's, that's part of the flesh uh, that's there. Um, these last two, drunkenness and orgies, that last word's hard to define. Um, it's actually less attached to sexuality and more attached to the drunkenness side. Uh, a better translation would be revelries. Uh, honestly, what it means here is, is getting drunk and doing dumb things. That's what it means. That's, that's revelries. Because guess what? When you throw your inhibitions away by just abandoning yourself to alcohol or some other drug, bad things happen. This is drunk driving, this is people cheating on their spouses while drunk. Okay, this is abusing people physically. How many evils have been visited upon us and on the world by things that people have done under the influence of drugs and alcohol? When I just let my flesh run amok. Okay, well, bad things happen. This is the Hulk from a couple weeks ago. That's what happens. Okay, that's, that's what he's talking about here. Okay, when you and I indulge the flesh, we are going to reap destruction. Period, end of story. And so here's the question. Are you indulging the flesh? Are you, are you feeding the flesh, sowing to the flesh in any of these ways? Because I can already tell you, here's what the enemy is doing right now. I'll tell you what your flesh is saying right now. Your flesh is looking at that list and saying, you aren't doing like nine of those things. You are so good. You are awesome. Look at all those things you are doing. How holy are you? You should tell the preacher. You are doing so well. Now look, you've got that one thing, but nine to one, go, man, you are awesome. You can leave the one on the side. Okay, that's the flesh. Don't look at that. Don't look at that one. Okay, that's the flesh talking. Don't listen. Don't be deceived. But then also on the flip side, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Well, you see that in verses 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Did I miss goodness in there? It's fruit of the Spirit. Now, interesting here, did you notice notice the change in words? It's the works of the flesh 
and the fruit of the Spirit. Did you catch that? The works of the flesh are things that we do. The fruit of the Spirit are things that are birthed in us. You can't actually do that. You're not commanded to do love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and just gut yourself into it, make yourself do it. You can't actually produce the fruit of the Spirit. You can do the works of the flesh, but you can't do the fruit of the Spirit. Well, then what am I supposed to do? Well, he's already told you. You walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. It says it four times in the passage. What do I do? I surrender to the Spirit. I sow to the Spirit. I'm living in Jesus Christ. I'm growing in Him. I, I stay surrendered. I repent and say, Jesus, I need help. Help me. Jesus, I'm sorry. I, I, I did this again. I can't fix myself. I can't even change myself to, to be who you want me to be. I need, I need help. I want to walk in the Spirit. And so I choose to pray, to listen to stay surrendered, to read my Bibles, to invest in spiritual friendships, to invest in, in, in my walk with the, the church, and to, to do the things that God asked me to do. I sow to the Spirit. And even though you might not see the results of this early on, it is going to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, generosity, and self-control. It naturally gets birth to us. Not one or two of them, all of them, as we live in the Spirit. And look, what starts small compounds to a harvest of righteousness that leads even unto eternal life. It is what God has made you for. And so look, wherever we find ourselves, the question for today is, is like, where am I gonna sow? Where am I gonna sow? Am I gonna sow to the flesh or am I gonna sow to the spirit? So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. We're going to spend some time here at the end of the service answering that question. And look, I'm not going to embarrass you or ask you to tell me anything, but in all honesty, can you find yourself before the Holy Spirit and just ask him to search me and see if there's any offensive way in me and to lead me in the way everlasting? Yes, this is all of us. We're all struggling. There's, there's places that we're sowing to the Spirit, but let's be honest, there's also places we're sowing to the flesh. And if you want to see transformation, if you want to see healing, the pathway is repentance. We constantly stay here. The pathway is repentance. And so how would the Lord have you repent today? Maybe he's bringing something to mind by the Holy Spirit. He's He's brought something up, something we overlook. We try to overlook. We, we go to pains to overlook. And maybe he's bringing that up and saying, yeah, we, we can't ignore this any longer. Why? Because this is sowing death into your life. It's destroying your relationships. This is destroying you. You have no idea what's coming. Well, you can begin to turn that and let the Lord do a miracle. Let him begin to heal you. And instead, put you on a path of sanctification, transformation, eternal life. You don't have to wait. You can start now. So just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And then these altars are going to be open. And maybe you want to come and just spend some time with the Lord. Adam, people know I'm a sinner. Welcome to the club. There's not a person in here who does not need to repent. And I'm at the front of that line. Every single one of us. We, we're to be a people of repentance, constantly repenting. What might he ask you today to save you, to help you, to transform you? 
Where might he ask you to repent today? And maybe we can also just make a choice and say, I want to choose to sow to the Spirit this week. I can't just wait for something to happen. I choose to sow to the Spirit.